to be able to say and to sing and mean it that Jesus is my life. What a privilege it is to follow the Lord. What a privilege it is to be here this morning. What a privilege it is to stand behind this pulpit and proclaim the Word of God this morning as well. I would remind you, as Brother Rich mentioned, why the cost of the ladies' retreat is a little bit more than the men. It's because you're guaranteed a good night's sleep, from my understanding. So, <clears throat> Men's retreat at times, from what I understand. Um, there's a lot of noise in the evening. As we consider the Word of God this morning in John chapter 9, I was reading a brief... Um, story about the French Revolution. During this, uh, the French Revolution, political prisoners were, they were herded into dungeons. In one place, a prisoner possessed a Bible. His cell was crammed with men who wanted to hear the Word of God. But once each day, and only that time during the day, for only a few moments, a shaft of light would come through a tiny window near the ceiling because it was completely dark in there, but light would come in just for a few minutes. The prisoners devised a plan where they would lift the owner of the Bible on their shoulders and into the sunlight. There in that position, he would study the Scriptures. Then they'd bring him down and say, Tell us, friend, what did you read while you were in the light? They were... In darkness, practically, and a little light would shine, and the man had the Word of God, and that was what they wanted to hear. Let that be our heart's cry this morning, that we would desire the Word of God and desire to hear the Word of God, as we have been in John chapter 9, studying the account of the man who was born blind, who was healed by the Lord Jesus Christ born blind physically and healed physically, and there was obvious fruit from that, and born blind spiritually and healed by Christ spiritually, and there was obvious fruit of that as well. The reaction of those around him varied. Most were skeptical. Some, the Pharisees, were hostile to it because they were hostile towards Jesus Christ. They wanted to discredit the man, not learn more about the light. The crowd of people responded how we would expect them to. There was something unexplainable, and so they wanted to take him to the experts. Uh, We have many self-proclaimed experts in our day, do we not? But they wanted to take them to what they considered the religious experts, the, the Pharisees. And so we'll see here, first and foremost, there was probing and prodding in their interrogation. Let's just look at chapter 9 and begin in verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes and said to him, Go wash in a pool of Siloam, which is translated scent. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar, were saying, Is this not the one who used to sit and beg? Others are saying, This is he. Others are saying, No, but he is like him. But he kept saying, I am the one. So they were saying to him, How then were your eyes opened? He answered, The man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes, 
and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. And so I went away and washed and received sight. They said to him, Where is he? And he said, I do not know. And then the scriptures for us this morning. They brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind. Now it was a Sabbath on that day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees were also asking him again how he received his sight. And he said to them, He applied clay to my eyes, and I wash and I see. Therefore some of the Pharisees were saying, This man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? So there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man again, What do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, He is a prophet. Lord, indeed, help us this morning to understand your word and help me to preach your word for the glory of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. So they brought this man to the Pharisees, and this man now could see. So he could walk around, he could see, he could uh, function like any of the other men around him, the other people around him. Walking around, he could run probably, now he could see. And so, but they brought him to the Pharisees. So it makes you think, well, did they ask him? Or did they say, no, you're going with us to the Pharisees. This leading him to the Pharisees. A miracle just took place. People witnessed a man able to see after years of being blind. His neighbors said, this is him. Now he can see. Others said, I remember him outside the temple. I remember him. He, he used to beg day after day after day. That is him. Others say, no, he just looks like him. He's a lookalike. They asked questions. And Jesus was mentioned. The man who was called Jesus, he said. So, okay, now we, now we got to go. We got to go to the Pharisees. The timing of this seems to be shortly after the healing, which was on the Sabbath. Perhaps this man may have went by his home, went to see his parents so that they could rejoice. The neighbors then saw this, saw him as well. Why did they see the need to bring him to the Pharisees? Well, they wanted answers. And this Jesus that had been around and had been uh, saying certain things, was either a popular or very unpopular person, depending on their perspective. And so this man mentioned Jesus. He had just been healed. And the Pharisees were the know-it-alls. That was their reputation. The Pharisees had already been embarrassed by Jesus more than once. They had it out for him. They wanted to kill him. And if they could trap him in this, they would. It was the understanding, it was known that if anyone confessed Jesus to be the Christ, they were going to be put out of the synagogue. There was different types of discipline in the synagogue uh, that they did, the leaders did, for certain circumstances. It could have been just a a week-long type of discipline, depending on what it was. Or it could have been 30 days. Or they could have put someone out for good. And so they were very serious in their desire to put an end to what Jesus was doing. So the probing and prodding of what happened from this man's perspective began. But we see that truth is over tradition. Truth is... What we need to hear over tradition, truth is more important over tradition being our second point. It was a Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay. So the Pharisees said he made the clay. From their perspective, this was work. He violated the Sabbath and opened his eyes. He healed a man on the Sabbath. Then again, from the Pharisees' perspective, aha, we got him. He broke the Sabbath from their perspective. 
Why is it so important that, that this was, that it's mentioned, that John mentions it was a Sabbath day? Well, the true meaning of the Sabbath was important, was important then, and it is important today as well. The problem was the religious leader's view of the Sabbath and the man-made regulations that they put in place for the Sabbath. We understand what the fourth commandment says in Exodus. I'll just read it for us this morning. Exodus chapter 20, the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. For it shall do not for in it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourners who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the problem wasn't with the Sabbath. The problem definitely wasn't with what Jesus was doing on the Sabbath. The problem was with the Pharisees. For example, as James Montgomery Boyce points out, he says the following, The rabbis had defined this, the fourth commandment, as meaning that a man could not carry a handkerchief from the upstairs room to the downstairs. That was, from their perspective, carrying a burden. And carrying a burden was work. So again, a handkerchief from upstairs to downstairs. A man could, not, could neither light nor extinguish a lamp either. He could not cut his fingernails nor pull a hair out of his beard. That's interesting. I wonder if that applies to eyebrows as well for... Um, wives who are kind enough to say, this is sticking out, we need to pluck this out Sunday morning before you go to church. But that was strike one. Okay, here's Jesus doing this on the Sabbath. For the Pharisees, this was strike one in this particular scenario. The religious leaders, according to their interpretation, could not allow a person, secondly, to receive certain types of medicinal care to improve their condition on the Sabbath. You are allowed to assist a person from getting, uh, from getting worse in a life-threatening situation. So if it's a life-threatening situation and there's something that can be done so that they do not get worse, okay, we'll allow that. But you are not allowed to do anything and provide remedies to make him better. So if someone's life was in danger, there were exceptions. But if you were suffering with a non-life-threatening situation, you had to wait till tomorrow. Imagine that. We're leaving here. Someone falls, twists their ankle or breaks it, and they're in a lot of pain. Perhaps they're older even, and the bone is, you could see, okay, there's a, there's a break here. Is it life-threatening? No, but I'm in a lot of pain. Well, we'll wait till tomorrow. Just put the splint on real quick, and we'll wait. Third, there was the issue of applying spittle to their eyes. Now, Erdersheim, his volume, which is called The Life and Times of Jesus, the Messiah, gives us some insight to this situation. Regarding saliva, its application to the eye was expressively forbidden on the ground that it was evidently intended as a remedy. It was not lawful to put spittle on the eyes. So these were the religious leaders' regulations. They, the the leaders, the religious leaders of Israel, constructed man-made traditions, regulations, as Sabbath law on top of their own law. 39 categories of activities that violated the Sabbath, according to their own view. 39 categories. Now, we know a category is, means there's other things underneath. So if you have 39 categories, what's under category one and category two and three and so on? 
But Jesus, who obeyed the moral law perfectly, understood all aspects of God's law perfectly and would have nothing to do with these man-made rules or regulations. Not only were the religious leaders wrong in their man-made regulations on the Sabbath, it also proves to be dangerous to people's souls. They were believing and teaching a works righteousness. They could not keep God's moral law, but they could sure keep their own man-made laws, especially if they came up with them. I don't have to pluck out my beard or pluck a hair from my beard on Sunday or light a lamp or put it out on Saturday or whatever. Their man-made regulations made it easier for them to look down on others from a disposition of a proud, rule-keeping, pharisaical heart. In contrast, God's law, God's moral law, when used rightly, when used lawfully, shows us our sin and shows man his need for a Savior and shows Christians how then must we live. By following their man-made traditions and regulations, it eliminated in their thinking the need for grace. So as we consider the error of the Pharisees, and their consideration and their thinking, and their going way out in the other field. We must be careful not to do the same things. We need, thirdly, discernment. And we need to understand there will be division. Discernment and division. The Pharisees were asking, again, how he received his sight in verse 15. Let's go from the beginning. Let's, okay, let's, let's hear this again. Uh, start over again. Uh, how did you receive your sight? His neighbors questioned him. Others questioned him. Now they brought him before the Pharisees, and they were questioning him. Makes you wonder if he's getting annoyed yet. Or perhaps he's just getting started in his defense of who Christ is. He said to them, he applied clay to my eyes, I washed, and I see. Terse, to the point, with sureness, surety. Shorter testimony, as he is being aggressively interrogated. There's a time for a short testimony, when someone is pinning you to the wall, And there's a time when you can share a testimony for a long time if someone's willing to listen. But we need to be discerning and wise in what we're saying and the audience, for lack of a better way of saying it, who is before us. Remember their intentions to trap Jesus to kill him. They already tried to do so. They wanted to stone him. The man healed from blindness was just another pawn to obtain their objectives. They've used other pawns, other people, and he was just another one. So he says in his condensed testimony, the focus was on the how. Why would they ask him how he received? How did he do this? So they could trap Jesus in a violation. Some of the Pharisees were saying they wanted to discredit him so that they could trap him. Some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. So he doesn't keep the Sabbath. He's not from God. But others, other Pharisees, others within them were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? So there was a division among them. The scripture says that. A sign was performed. The man opened the eyes of one who was blind. Therefore, he must be from God. Because a sinner can't do that. 
But the means of their testing, at least some of the Pharisees, was according to their traditions, their regulations, their thinking, rather than according to Scripture. They could have looked to the law of Moses, which they knew very well, to test whether Jesus was who he said he was after he performed these signs. I'll just read from you from Deuteronomy 13. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes true concerning which he spoke to you, then saying, though, let us go after other gods whom you have not known, and let us serve them. Therefore, if there's something he says, a sign he does, and it comes true, and then he says, let us go after these other gods. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. But Jesus, in contrast, was doing these signs. He was healing this man, and he was pointing people to God. And at the same time, he was revealing who he was right in their midst. If the Pharisees would have looked to God's word honestly and evaluated what Jesus said and did based on what the word of God said, they would have acknowledged him as the true prophet. And they would acknowledge that their teaching of the Sabbath was not the correct one and that what Jesus said regarding the Sabbath was. So considering the Sabbath, there's some applications for us as well. We must be sure not to form a reaction theology due to past experiences or past teachings we may have been under, especially when it comes to what is clearly taught in the Word of God. The church I was saved in, that uh, I heard the gospel in 2004 in, was a church that, um, a mega church, a church that didn't even have membership, a church that was not even reformed, a church that was uh, more charismatic, a church that said, you don't have to come to church on Sunday, we'll have a Saturday night service instead. So you can have the whole weekend for yourself, just come on Saturday night, an hour and a half. But the Bible doesn't teach that. The Scripture is clear. And with all aspects of life, all aspects of what we do, especially as God says, this is what I have ordained as you come and worship me, we need to be clear what the Word of God teaches. We cannot ignore the Sabbath or deny it exists for Christians. And brothers and sisters, don't let the world rob you of what God has ordained that is good for us, the Lord's day. Don't let the world rob you of this day. They rob us of so many things, don't they? Or they try to. You can't say this here, you can't pray over there, you can't stand up for this here. You're a coach and you're praying on the field, you're out of it there. The squeeze is on, brothers and sisters. Don't let the world rob you of what God has ordained for what is good for us. Nor shall we be like the Pharisees either, making the Sabbath or the the Lord's day a burden rather than a blessing. What a burden that would be, these 39 categories. What a burden it is when someone looks down their nose at you and says, oh, I do this, this, and this on the Lord's Day. The point, Sabbath day, the the Lord's Day, what do we do then? Well, an overarching, summarizing way. And this is something I've taught on before, and this is something 
that every believer needs to grapple with and needs to come to an understanding on what does God have for us on Sunday, on the Lord's Day? What do we do then? How do I apply this to my life? Overarching theme, worship and rest. London Baptist Confession, by His Word in a positive moral and perpetual commandment that obligates everyone in every age, He has specifically appointed one day in seven for a Sabbath to be kept holy to him. Also, from the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ, the appointed day was the last day of the week. But after the resurrection of Christ, it was changed to the first day of the week, which is called the Lord's Day. This is to be kept to the end of the age as the Christian Sabbath, since the observance of the last day of the week has been abolished. Acts 27, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began teaching to them, talking to them, intending to leave the next day. He prolonged his message until midnight. Can you imagine that? If I said to you this morning, I said, guess what, we're here till midnight, or we're going to keep going. We'll see how long everyone lasts until, or me falling Backwards, you're saying, I'm done, I can't do it. You see the, the people that do the filibusters in Congress, and they're up there, and you say, wow, look at how long they're doing this for. And most of the time, they're just talking nonsense to keep the thing going. But Paul preaching the word of God until midnight. Don't worry, I have no intentions to follow Paul in that direction. John, as Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, John was in the spirit on the Lord's day, a day set apart. I encourage you to study on what the Lord's day is, what the Christian Sabbath is, and how it's a delight for us. Isaiah 53 has something to say on that for us, or 58 rather. <clears throat> Isaiah 58, 13, if because of the Sabbath you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day. So the ponderly, ponder, ponderly, I've put two words together, ponder and carefully. Ponder carefully the path that you take each and every day, but, but on the Lord's day, on the Christian Sabbath, turn your foot Ponder carefully the path that you take. This is uh, like Proverbs talk. When Proverbs gives us, you do this and not that. Watch here, watch there, watch where you walk there. Young man, don't go down that road, go this road. Ponder carefully from doing your own pleasure on my holy day. Not our day, but God's holy day. And call the Sabbath a delight. The holy day of the Lord honorable. This does not sound burdensome at all. It sounds like a blessing, a delight. The holy day of the Lord honorable. Honor it. Desisting from your own ways, from seeking your own pleasure, and speaking your own word, then you will take delight in the Lord. So there was a Division amongst the Pharisees. There was, we need discernment as we consider what, some, what people will say here and say there. No, we need, to, we need to be discerning. And that comes through the word of God and through prayer and sitting under sound teaching. But there was a division within the Pharisees, recognizing who Jesus was. Who he is, what he has done. Some who said, okay, I see this here. This is what he has done. No sinner could do this. And there's others who say, no, he must go. Well, consider the life of Nicodemus, a Pharisee. Remember in John 3 that the Pharisee named Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews, he came to Jesus by night. And they had quite the conversation. And Nicodemus said, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God. 
as a teacher. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So here is Nicodemus, a Pharisee, and we can see already what camp he is going into. And then in John chapter 7, there was division over Jesus. Nicodemus, in his attempt to be balanced with others who wanted to kill Jesus, he said, Our law does not judge a man unless it first hears from him and knows what he is doing, does it? And the Pharisees answered back to Nicodemus, You're not also from Galilee, are you? Search and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. So as Nicodemus was asking questions, Nicodemus was saying this about Jesus. And then we see in the, towards the end of the Gospel of John, Nicodemus caring for the body of Jesus, helping to care after his crucifixion. So the point being, there is a division over who Jesus is. And we will face that in our lives. And we have faced that in our lives. And that will not change. Some will tolerate you. They say, oh, he's just a Christian or she's just a Christian. I'll I'll, give him a little bit of room there, possibly. Most will not. There's even a division among those within a church. Churchgoers of who Jesus is. That not ought to be. But this man knew who Jesus was. Fourthly, the answers and apologetics. The answers and apologetics. So they said to him again, What do you say about him since he opened your eyes? So now frustration is setting in. Now it's ratcheted up a notch. The Pharisees are interrogating this man. They're willing, though, to sink down to a level of asking a commoner what he thought. What do you say about him since he opened your eyes? The man who was formerly blind heard the disagreement between the Pharisees, and he takes a position of who Jesus is. First, he said, the man Jesus opened my eyes. Now, when they ask who he is, he says he is a prophet. Through this opposition and conflict, the man grows in his understanding of who Jesus is. A man, a prophet, then uh, he would not call him a rabbi, but indirectly, because he would ask, you do not want to be his disciples also, do you? Well, who has disciples? Rabbis have disciples. So he went from calling Jesus a man to a prophet to a rabbi, and he says he's from God, and he calls him Lord, and then he worships him. This man started to become, and he, he was as bold as a lion. These Pharisees were interrogating him. He knew he would be cast out of the synagogue if he confessed Jesus as the Christ, and he was bold as a lion. Consider the boldness that we ought to have as Christians today. This man was before those who knew all things, supposedly. These Pharisees, these religious leaders. And here's this man, and he says he's a prophet. That's who Jesus is. They had the power to ruin his life. He couldn't just go from one synagogue to the next or say, I'm... You know, today someone could say, well, this church is not for me anymore. Boom, gone. Go to another church. Say, oh, that's, that one's not for me either. I don't like this and this. And boom, gone to another church. And just coast and coast and coast. But this man did not shrink back from what he knew to be true about Jesus. And as a result of that, he was further emboldened. How are we to be when people are hostile towards us? Because we are Christians. Well, Peter has something to say about it in 1 Peter chapter 3. Invite you to turn there, please. 1 Peter chapter 3. By the the way, I mentioned 1 Peter. That is going to be our new study for the evenings. Beginning tonight is 
the, the book of 1 Peter. Peter has something to say in chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. <clears throat> and we will hone in on verse 15. To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but given a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attend to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. And here it is. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. So with reverence, set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts, as the one who we fear, the one who we worship. We ought not to fear man in this world that seek to intimidate us or to trap us. We fear the one who is able to cast both body and soul into hell. As we would set apart Christ as Lord in our hearts, there are inward fruit that comes out of that, and outward fruit when persecution comes, or when trials come, or when we're pinned against the wall with who Jesus is, and they're asking questions, and they're interrogating us. Always being ready, he continues, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account. Make a defense. This word is apologia, apologetic. Always being ready to make a defense. This formal talk, uh, as in a court, always be ready to answer these charges. But this can apply in, informal as well. A terse testimony or long testimony, as I mentioned, depending. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account. We ought not to fear man who may be way smarter than us. They have a PhD in this or that or, wow, they're all about science or this or this. If we know the Word of God, we are equipped. We have the weapon needed. We are to be ready to make a defense for everyone who asks to give an account for the hope the hope that is in you, the expectation of Christ that is in us. Yet with gentleness and reverence, with humility before God, love towards man, not rudeness towards man, sarcasm towards man, or immaturity, but with humility and reverence, with fearing God and fear of offending God who loves us. Psalm 56, 11, In God I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Consider that psalm. Consider that verse when you are going to share the gospel. What can man do to me? So we have the probing and prodding of this man in their interrogation. And he must respond as we must respond with truth over tradition. Discernment is needed and there will be division over who Christ is. And we must be sure that we seek to have answers and apologetics. And finally, illuminating and increasing. He's a prophet. So what does that mean as we are as Christians? Well, there's illumination and there is increasing illumination. When asked by the Pharisees to make a call, to take a side, this man whose eyes were opened by Jesus 
does not hesitate, but calls Jesus a prophet. We know this was not the first time he was called a prophet. The woman of Samaria, chapter 4. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. In chapter 6, when the people saw the sign, they would say, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. And the man here in the text before us, his eyes were opened, his heart was changed, and he did not hesitate to say, Jesus, he is a prophet. And we, we see once again how he responded in worship to him towards the end of the chapter. Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. As this man understands, and as his understanding grows of who God is through his new spiritual lenses, the Pharisees became more blinded by false beliefs and proud hearts. Do you know that? When the gospel is preached, when Jesus is preached, and someone refuses and refuses and refuses, their heart grows harder and harder and harder. and They become more blind and blind to the things of the Lord. A reminder that the healing of the blind was associated with uh, what is theologians call messianic activity. Isaiah 42.7, the Messiah would come to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeons and those who dwell in darkness from their prison. He's a prophet. This man was correct. Jesus is prophet. And part of Christ's prophetic work is to open the eyes of the blind so that they may see. Isaiah foretold that God would give Christ as a light to the nations, is just referenced. But man without Christ continues to be blind and continues to live in darkness, as 2 Corinthians tells us in chapter 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelieving, so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. The natural man who does not have the Spirit of God cannot see nor can he hear nor receive spiritual truth that is spoken to him through the preaching of the word. In chapter 8, verse 43 of John, I'll just read it for you. Jesus says, Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. Could they hear him physically speaking? Absolutely. Can you hear my voice this morning? Yes, he is speaking of spirits that you cannot hear the word he is saying. You will not hear it. You will not take it in. And then in chapter 12, he says something similar. In verse 35, Jesus said to them, For a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and he went away and hid himself from them. Thomas Boston, a Puritan, says, Through Christ's mediation, the word of God enlightens the mind, awakens the conscience, convinces of sin, and can effectually convert and change them. But... Only by the Spirit, for all its power and efficacy is from Him. We know Christ saves sinners by His Spirit, by means of the proclamation of the Word of God. As Christ commissioned Paul, sending him out in Acts chapter 26, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light 
and from the domain of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. And amongst those of us in here this morning who are children of God, who are saved, Christ continues his work of illumination in our minds. He causes an increase and illumination in our hearts. The Bible tells us in in Romans 8 and 9 and 10 that Christ dwells in us by his spirit and leads us by the spirit. You are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Remember what Paul wrote to the believers in Ephesus. He prayed for them that the the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. This is to believers. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? This can be increased in our lives, day in, day out. As we continue to pray that the Lord would increase our illumination, increase our understanding. Illumination brings what Beaky calls experiential knowledge, or as John Owen says, a spiritual sense of the power and reality of the things believed. Psalm 34, 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. And 66, 5, come and see the works of God. We ought to pray with the psalmist in 119, Lord, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. When we pray such things, we must not be under the delusion that such illumination of Christ is separate from the Scriptures. In other words, as Flavel puts it, the illumination of Christ and His Spirit was never designed to take men off from reading and studying and searching the Scriptures but to make their studies and their duties the more fruitful, beneficial, and effectual to their souls. We all need an increased illumination of the Word of God, an increased understanding, a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him through the reading of the Word of God and through prayer. Now that Christ has opened your eyes, and he's opened my eyes, he has given us sight. We have the responsibility to take care of the sight he has given us, to nurture our vision, to take care of our eyes, as they say. Protect our sight from that which could cause damage. Or lead us to going blind. Or to lead us from having a a nebulous view of the things of the Lord. As the song lyrics go. Light of the world, you step down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see. Here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you are my God. Can you agree with that this morning? Do you agree with that this morning? Have your eyes been opened by the Lord? If so, Christian, what are you doing with the sight he has given you? Are you caring for that sight he has given you? Are you cultivating discernment in your lives? Knowing that there will be a division. Knowing that when you follow Christ, people will hate you. Some may want nothing to do with you. 
But following Christ is worth it no matter the cost. No matter the cost. He is worthy to be followed. He is worthy to be praised. And it is our Christian duty to continue to search the Word. It is a desi- it's a delight to con- continue to search the Word, to have the answers. And we won't always have all of the answers, but to seek the answers for the questions that the lost may have. To sanctify Christ as Lord in our hearts, always being ready to make a defense and to give an account of the hope that lies within us. And as the world seeks to take things from us that are not theirs to take, that belong to the Lord, and to rob us of our joy of this day, let's not let the world do that. Let us honor God as prescribed in His Word. And let us pray, how does, Lord, how do I, how do, I do that? How does that look, what does that look like in my life? especially on the Lord's day. How does that look, Lord? What do I do? And search the word and study it out for the glory of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word that we have the truth. You have given us your truth. God, we need to hold that very high over traditions and rules that man seek to apply to us. Lord, let us base everything in our our lives, Lord, according to your word. Thank you that we have the, the Proverbs. Thank you that we have the Psalms. Thank you that we can go to godly counsel. Thank you that we have the Holy Spirit of God living within us. Thank you that you continue to illuminate our minds for understanding of your word. God, give all of us in here, all of us, Lord, teachable hearts. Pliable to your word, pliable to what the Spirit would, how the Spirit would direct us according to your word. And God, we would ask that if any in here do not know you this morning, do not let them leave without bowing the knee to Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.